Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at So I'm going to get into it really quick here today. The last few weeks we've been talking about miracles. And uh, hopefully you've been, uh, hopefully the Holy Spirit's been enlarging uh, your, your understanding of miracles. Uh, we've heard, which is exciting, we've heard so many people experiencing uh, God miraculously uh, dealing with their life, miraculously involved in their life. And so we're just excited about what God's doing in this, in this season as a church. Uh, last week we talked about being filled with spirit. How many of you were here last week? Okay, a few of you. And so we talked about how God wants to fill us with his um, fullness. Uh, this week, I really do, I really felt it for the last actually several weeks. But this week, I, I really felt like God wanted to do a miracle in our minds today. And so the title of my talk here today is How Jesus Sees Anxiety. How Jesus Sees Anxiety. Obviously, I'm not going to come uh, from the, the angle of being, I'm not a therapist. Uh, I'm not going to address some of the, the neurochemical realities of maybe anxiety. Um, if you're meeting with a therapist, that's great. We believe all truth is God's truth. Uh, we support our mental health professionals. Can I get an amen, church? The insight that they provide. Um, I, I think one thing, let me just say this really quick, is we got to remove the stigma when it comes to um, mental health issues, right? People are really going through it in life. And so uh, we believe in having the support of our mental health um, uh, professional community. Um, we do, I, I'm not a clinical psychologist, so I'm not going to psychoanalyze uh, us today. I, what I want to do is I want to tackle anxiety from a theological perspective, and in particular, how does that relate to Jesus and what he says in the passages that we're going to read here today? So really quick, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse um, 7. Matthew 6, verse 7. Jesus says this, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as, as the pagans do, the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. I love this. Because your father knows what you need before you ask him. Can I get any amen to that? Like your, your father in heaven knows what you need even when you don't know what you need. Right? That's how good he is. And then we transition into verse 9. And uh, it's famous for uh, being called the Lord's Prayer, right? And then Jesus teaches his disciples on prayer. He goes, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. We're going to fast forward really quick to verse 25. Jesus, and I'm going to build a composite picture of how Jesus sees the world and how that relates to anxiety. We come to verse 25, and Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious on Tuesday or Sunday, right, when you're down by 30. 
or if you're Michigan and you're losing to Wisconsin, right? Is that, wow, wow, you feisty this morning. No, this is, man, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life all the time. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body and what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father, your Father in heaven, feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? How many of you believe that anxiety is a waste of time? Like, I've experienced anxiety before, and I'm not going to get into my story here today, but I've had panic attacks. I've dealt with it in my early 20s, and, and really the Holy Spirit has set me free. But I have realized that anxiety is, is thinking about the future, and, and we'll talk about that in a negative way, is a complete waste of time. So what Jesus is saying here, what Jesus is essentially saying is that we live in a perfectly safe place. Think about that. I want you to feel that right now. In fact, in the words of one scholar, what Jesus, as he comments on what Jesus is saying here, it seems like Jesus is saying there's never a reason ever to be anxious. Huh? Can you, can you turn to your neighbor and say, huh? Are you feeling this text, right? Like why? And so Jesus continues and says, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your Father in heaven knows that you need them all. Right? So God's not saying you can't go shopping and, and take care of yourself and like after service today go and get some good food, right? Barbecue, whatever. Jesus is saying there's something more. There's a deeper reality that he wants to tap into here. Verse 33, he then says, but seek first, right, the kingdom of God. C.S. Lewis says, put first things first, and you'll get first and second things thrown in. But take second things and make them first things. You'll both lose first and second things. Okay. I could see your eye like, well, what was that? <laughs> we'll give you aspirin at the end of this message. All right. But seek Essentially, C.S. Lewis is agreeing with Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. God really does care for you, and everyone needs to hear that this morning. God cares for you. Therefore, verse 34, as we round out this passage on anxiety, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Really quick, last passage, we'll pray. Philippians chapter 4, Paul now is talking about anxiety. He uses the same word that Jesus uses. And we're going to begin in verse 6. He says, do not be anxious about some things, about anything, but in everything, by prayer, right, and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
And then the peace of God. How many of you want the peace of God to define you? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen, church? All right, bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, we thank you for, we thank you for your goodness today. And we thank you that you are a really good father. Holy Spirit, come and bring peace to every son and daughter here. Lord, I do thank you that we have every reason to put our trust in you. Not our circumstances today, not what we're going through. And I know many people here today are going through a lot of stuff. We just ask that you would come and you would bring your peace, bring your grace into their lives. In Jesus' name, we bless all the people here. And everyone set? Amen. Have you ever had one of those days where, I'm going to get into this message here really quick, but have you ever had one of those days where you're like, really God? Like, like you wake up in the morning and like everything, it's like Murphy's Law, everything that can go wrong will go wrong, right? I had one of those days, my wife and I had one of those days about a month ago, and uh, we didn't get any sleep the night before, and uh, we have a set of twins that are 10 months old. And uh, I remember they didn't get any sleep. We kind of woke up in the morning and, uh, you know, they were fussy. I remember it was a particular morning, not to get too graphic, but there was like poop everywhere. And it was just, I, I don't, I'm a guy who doesn't do well with poop. Can I get any amen, guys? Right? Like the moms, you should clean all the diapers. All the men said amen. I'm totally kidding. Wow, you guys are judgers. Wow. Um, but it was, one of those, it was one of those mornings where I, I can't remember. It was like everything was broken, right? The dishwasher was broken. I, the laundry was like, what do you call the laundry machines? Anyways, the dryer was broken. Wow, I, I, I totally do laundry all the time, guys. I love it. Uh, I'm just tired. Um, and so it was just, again, it's just like everything was broken. The kids, we got the best kids and my beautiful princess girls walking out on me. No, she's right there. I love you, Witwit. But they were just fighting like chickens. And it was just, again, they're great. They're great. I don't even know what that means. Do chickens fight? Anyways, um, yes, they, that's actually, yes, that's, I got into bad territory there. Um, anyways, but uh, the kids were like, they were messing around. And uh, anyways, my wife and I got to the point where we're just exhausted. So we got the kids in the car. And I remember thinking to myself, God, I need your help. I'm wiped out. So we're in the car and uh, we go maybe a, a block or two and I see it. Like if, how many of you are from California or a different state? Okay. All right. So when you come to Idaho, one of the first things they tell you, uh, because there's so much wildlife around, that you got to drive through, right? You don't want to stop. You don't want to swerve, right? Because that's bad. Can I get an amen to this, right? So we're like, why are we talking about driving? I'll get to the point here quickly. Um, so uh, I, anyways, you, you got to kind of just drive through um, gently um, through the wildlife. So the point that I'm trying to make here. I'm building this story up, guys. I'm milking it. I see two cute little squirrels playing, you know, cute little furry creatures, and I can see it. My kids are, you know, they're doing their thing. And uh, they, I'm like, oh, God, it's going to happen. I just felt it. 
They don't see me, and they both run across the road. There are a couple cars behind me. I can't slam on my brakes. You know, I got kids in the car. I got five kids. And so uh, I just kind of go through one cute little squirrel, made it. The other one, ah, did not make it. My wife was forlorn for a couple hours. It took her, I'm not joking, a couple hours. She looked at me. She looked at me with, with the, those accusatory eyes like it was my fault. In fact, my kids started, they started sobbing. One of them, I think, started sobbing, and I won't tell you who, Q, started accusing me of being a killer of squirrels. Right? I felt bad. Have you ever, have you ever, it's weird. Like, when I felt so bad for, because I started thinking about that little squirrel's life, and I'm a compassionate guy, and I was just trying to put myself in the squirrel, and you can't do that, right? Because you just go dark, and, and I, I felt bad because I'm like, I participated in death, right? At the end, my, um, my son, um, I, I swear he said this, my son came up to me and says, Dad, um, and this is about after a couple hours after this whole event, he goes, Dad, I still love you. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't know that was in question, Right? Because a squirrel wasn't responsible, right? Anyways, that's another story. I didn't tell, I didn't tell my wife this, but this is, it was just one of those days, right? It's like, Lord, really, is this happening? I muttered under my breath, because Matthew chapter 6, I want you to think about, about Matthew chapter 6. This has been a game changer for me when Jesus says, do not be anxious, right? Because God takes care of the birds. And I remember when I ran over that squirrel, I muttered, don't laugh yet, laugh in a little bit. I muttered to myself, wow, God, you do love the birds, but you must hate the squirrels. <laughs> so where are we going, Chris, with this, right? Wait, he, here, here's, here's the thing. The question that we have, let's just be honest, right? We, we live in a culture of anxiety. We're calling it the, the, the anxiety epidemic. And there are a lot of people in the world, maybe even the church world, maybe even a lot of you here today, you read Matthew 6 and it feels like pretty words. We got the countryside, we got like it's bucolic, and we have God, our Father in heaven, who's taking care of birds. And we know that there's death in our world, right? And many people find Matthew chapter 6 and even Philippians chapter 4 as like, oh, those are nice, cute words, but those are words we can't live by. I want to address that. I don't want to open up the Pandora's box of theotics, of theotic questions, right? Dealing with the questions of how can a good God allow suffering and everything. I will deal with that a little bit, but I, I, I want to address um, our anxiety epidemic because there are a lot of people that feel like we have to be anxious, Jesus counters our cultural script right now. Our cultural script, we're culturally conditioned to believe that we should be anxious about everything. I'm going to be really honest. Jesus counters that by saying, do not be anxious. I want you to feel the tension really quick. Before I, before I uh, give you the answer um, to why Jesus says and insists that we don't, we don't have to be anxious about anything, I want to talk about our anxiety epidemic. This is crazy, but one in four American adults, 65 million people suffer from anxiety. 
In fact, what social scientists are saying is that anxiety is contagious. It's like the common cold. It can go viral. You can catch it, right? And I've experienced anxiety. I've been around people that have experienced anxiety. And what's interesting is that anxious people can make other people anxious, right? And we're feeling, we're feeling this writ large. Anxiety is like it's, it's now becoming the defining feature of our modern contemporary life. One child psychologist, Robert Lehay, said this. I've mentioned him, sourced him many times before. But the average child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in 1950s. So what gives, right? What, what, why is anxiety shaping our cultural moment? Well, let me just say this, number one. Because we've had problems since the beginning of time, since Genesis chapter 3. So why is um, our 21st century Western world being driven, shaped, defined by high levels of anxiety? Well, number one, it's because of the immediacy of threats. Technology is great, and it can be bad, right? Technology is great because we can connect with people, I guess, on social media, right? We can go on Google, we go on YouTube, and we can just have, we can watch, like, kittens play or whatever, whatever you like to do. Technology is nothing inherently wrong with technology. Are you hearing me, right? The problem is there are some bad things that can happen with technology. And what's happened is that um, technology has allowed for the immediacy of catastrophe. So in other words, we have catastrophe daily on our phones. If you like the news or whatever, we hear about catastrophic events happening all the time. For example, I like the news. How many of you love the news? Few of you, okay. Maybe, how many of you think maybe we should get off the news? Okay, maybe it's a word for all of us. But this last week, I just heard, and again, I just want, I, I want to describe, I'm a neutral observer. I want to describe culturally kind of where we're at. I read in the news that we now have 2.9 billion less birds than in 1970 in North America. Like, and I remember reading that, and I'm like, oh, 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 God, we're all going to die, right? I remember at the beginning of the year, I heard about super funguses, and I'm like, oh, God, we're, we're going to die, right? Remember measles was a huge outbreak, and vaccinations was a big thing. I have no, I'm not going to make a political statement about that at all, but um, it just has this feeling that there are threats everywhere. We have this catastrophic um, news cycle that, that is feeding our phones, and it's affecting and shaping how we think about ourselves and how we think about our world. We have dire predictions about climate change. I'm not making a political statement about climate change at all. I do think we need to take care of our bodies, and I think we need to take care of creation. I can go back to Genesis 1 and 2 and talk about that, so I'm not in any way referencing what has happened this week with climate change stuff and all that stuff, but it does feel like weekly we have dire predictions about climate change. Uh, We have on our phones new evidence about domestic terrorism and hate crimes and the idolization of race or the proliferation of nuclear bombs. We now on Netflix, how many of you like Netflix, right? You have psychopaths are back in the news. Ted Bundy, there's been at least five different docudramas on him. Can we not have those anymore? Can I get any man of that, right? So it's just like we're just fed with all this dark stuff. And if we're not careful, we start to um, um, catastrophize our daily lives, right? And we start to, because of that, we start to work from the ground up, from our daily cultural experience. We then start to project catastrophe onto the world. In fact, one, I've mentioned him before, one professor of psychology dealing with um, what he, it's, it's nauseating to him, this French impressionist landscape of a world that is idyllic and peaceful. He claims mother nature is hell-bent on our destruction. 
And he, he lists, we have malaria, we have starvation level droughts, we have AIDS, we have black plagues, right? I've heard recently in the news, uh, news that um, the world is, or the earth itself is, is psychotic and it wants to destroy us. Ah, right? So many people, because of this, this, I'll just say, cultural milieu that we inhabit, we breathe in anxiety. Some of you don't even know that you're anxious today. You've, you've yet to identify anxiety in your own life. I'm just trying to make the link between some things that you're feeling that maybe there's some things not okay with maybe where our culture has um, uh, taken us to. So number one, we have the immediacy of catastrophe. Uh, number two, we have um, a thing called social isolation. People, we've talked about this for the last eight, nine, ten weeks, are now more socially isolated from each other. Americans, in the words of, of Robert um, Putman, Americans no longer know how to belong. We don't know how to commit. We don't know how to be vulnerable. We don't know how to be and to do life together, right? We usually choose churches based on not how we can commit to churches. We choose churches based on how that church can bring the most fulfillment to me. So, uh, belonging to a church is predicated on personal fulfillment and fulfilling my goals in life. It's not about learning to give our lives away, and that has led to social isolation. Scholars call this liquid modernity. We no longer have solid relationships, thick relationships, people that we feel like we can count on, people that we feel like we can share what's really going on in our lives. We live in such a judgmental culture, and I like to make an argument that the judgmentalism and the political hate that you see on TV and in the news every single day, I think is connected in a large part to this age of anxiety that we live in. We're socially isolated. We have the immediacy of catastrophe on our phones. And then number three, I think a big issue for many of us, and the reason why we're feeling anxiety is because of what one scholar calls hurry sickness. My question today is, are you going too fast in life? There's a sense that our pace and our rhythm of life is actually structured around busyness, which leads to anxiety. But there's a strong correlation between how you live your life and the proliferation of levels of anxiety in your life. The idea is pretty simple. If, if you're too busy, if you're in a hurry, that can become so pathological that you marginalize God. God becomes an afterthought. We treat Christianity as a weekend thing, not a way of life. And so what happens is we have no spiritual depth, right? We're doing good things, right? We're raising our babies. We're doing flag football, right? You're winning games. You're doing what you should as parents. You're taking your kids to school. All good things, but for many of us, our pace and our rhythm of life is too fast, and it's creating a uh, a, a condition of, in the words of one author, spiritual oblivion. We don't then have the resources to handle the complexities of life. Are you hearing me today? So let me, before we answer the question why we don't have to be afraid of anything, let me just say this really quick. What is anxiety? I want to define it really quick. Anxiety in the Latin um, is basically, uh, it, it's translated to choke or to narrow or to be strangled. It actually, in the Latin, um, it shares, the word anxiety shares the same root as anger and anguish. 
the Greek word that Jesus and Paul uses, it's used about 12 or 15 times-ish in the New Testament. But the Greek word that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 6 means to be drawn in opposite directions. Anxiety means to, divide, to be divided in parts. It means to be thrown into pieces, to be pulled apart. St. Augustine um, in his confession said this, I carried inside me a cut and bleeding soul, and how to get rid of it, I, di- I didn't know how. And then he said, my soul floundered in the void. He gives description, he gives words to the feeling of anxiety. Jesus makes it very clear, and Paul makes it very clear, and the New Testament makes it very clear that we should not be anxious or divided about our life, about what we eat or drink, our body, our clothes. Can I get an amen to that? Uh, we shouldn't be divided um, over time, our sense of time, because thinking about time or being anxious or divided over time, Jesus says, is a waste of time. Paul generalizes and says we don't have to be afraid or anxious of anything. Jesus also says you don't need to be anxious or divided over the mission that God has for you or even getting up in front of people and speaking to people because the Holy Spirit will give you his words. So anxiety is something that, yes, is affecting us culturally, but anxiety has always been a ubiquitous feature of human life. So Jesus is addressing this issue in Matthew chapter 6. But let me just say this really quick with, just to to sharpen up our understanding of anxiety. Anxiety is not simply worry. You can worry and not be anxious. However, anxiety does deal with worrying. I want to make that very clear. So you can worry about certain things, but anxiety is, there's a deeper reality to anxiety that I'll explain that goes beyond just simply worrying about your day or worrying about the future. Uh, Number two, anxiety uh, and fear are, uh, in the words of one scholar, are close cousins. Obviously, anxiety deals with fear. But fear is more of a response to a concrete event. Let's just say we're um, in the mountains together, right, and we're camping, and a bear charges us. Your first response would be what? Fear. That's a concrete event, right? You have a grizzly bear chasing you down. So what do you do? You look at your best friend, you knock him out, and you run, right? We, we, no one would ever do that, right? That's fear. Anxiety works a little bit different. Anxiety imagines the threat of a bear attacking you and eating you alive. All right, let's move on. And so what is anxiety then? Anxiety is an infinite web of what-ifs, in the words of one scholar. So when you're anxious, you're what-ifing your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, right? You're creating scenarios. What, what, what if this happens to my body? What if this happens to my kids? What if my boss, you know, or what if this situation that you've kind of been worrying about, anxious about, what if that materializes? Anxiety works within this infinite web of what ifs. In fact, anxiety is, is hard to pinpoint, and it's much different than fear because in the words of one author, it's more pervasive. It's diffuse. It lacks specificity. You know that there's something wrong, but you can't put words to it. Have you ever felt that before? It leaves you with a feeling of uncertainty and helplessness. It's rooted in catastrophizing the future, Right, And it's rooted in a series or in a web of negative, possibly irrational beliefs. 
Anxiety is also, and Jesus mentions this at the end of Matthew chapter 6, anxiety is all about getting ahead of time. It's also getting ahead of God. This is why I think we got to slow down. Everyone say slow down. Right? Because Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. No? Okay. Is that a song? <laughs> right? Um, Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Right? Because tomorrow will worry for itself. What, what, what is Jesus saying? Well, Jesus is, I think he's saying, don't get ahead of God. Don't get ahead of time. In fact, Cor, uh, Corey Timboon, she writes about worry, and I'm just going to substitute worry for anxiety here. She says, anxiety is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. It's carrying two days at once. It is moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Anxiety doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Jesus said, don't go into tomorrow. Like if you're on Monday, don't be catastrophizing Thursday, right? Because it's a waste of time. Because number one, God's in charge. You're not in charge. And there's a sense of irony. Hear me out. There's a sense of irony when it comes to anxiety. Anxiety wants to tell you that you have no control by trying to control you. Right? And when you have this sense of out of control, right, and this manifests in man a million different ways, right, as it manifests in a million different ways, like anxiety wants to try to become the central occupying force of your heart. In fact, anxiety can be the substrate of why so many people are critical. Anxiety can actually be the undercurrent of perfectionism. I'm going to be really honest with you. This is something the Holy Spirit has, for 20 years, has been working me through. It's called, I'm a perfectionist. Any perfectionist here? I just, perfectionism is my thing. And I've made the connection between perfectionism and anxiety. Right? There's always this sense of, I'm out of control. Things are not okay. So I need to have everything perfect. Some of you are driven by perfectionism um, because of your, your sense of anxiety. Some of you, may, you can't make a decision. Right, Like after service today, you're not going to be able to make a decision about what restaurant you should go to. I'm kidding, right? Um, anxiety renders you um, to a point where you can't make decisions about anything, right? Anxiety can affect, I believe, anger. So there are a lot of angry people, even, even resentful people. And the reason why we can't give our resentment to God, because behind all of that is this sense of things are not okay, right? And things are outside of my control. So we come to Matthew chapter 6 really quick. Jesus is not saying as a follower of Jesus, you will never experience or feel anxiety. I think here's a problem here with anxious people. Anxious people often feel shame when they are struggling with anxiety. Right? Because they hear, well, you should be filled with more faith. I believe without faith it's impossible to please God. Hear me. I believe faith is really important to Jesus, right? But my problem is, is that we absolutize faith, right? And what I mean by that is, um, and I've had it said to me before, like Chris, when I've been experiencing anxiety in my life, I've had people say, you just need to have more faith. Well, the problem is, is anyone in this room in a perfect state of faith? Like, we want to absolutize everything. Like, on this side, right, of new heavens, new earth, none of us are perfect. 
we're all in this process, what the Bible calls sanctification, right? And God is working in our heart. And if we're not careful, I, this is the, I might get a little feisty here, but if I hear anybody shaming someone because of anxiety, I will come after you, right? So we're like, oh God, I feel anxious, right? No, Jesus, when he says, do not be anxious, he's not shaming anybody, right? Now Jesus, yes, is gonna move us into faith, but just because we're following Jesus doesn't necessarily mean we'll never experience anxiety. And I hope some of you feel free right now. Number two, Jesus, when he says, do not be anxious, he's not saying that you're utterly hopeless. If you feel anxiety, then I can't help you. Or that there's something fundamentally wrong with you if you experience anxiety. In fact, and this is just a, another side point, Jesus, when he says and gives the command to not be anxious, he's not saying that you can simply stop on command when it comes to not being anxious. When Jesus says, do not be anxious, this is what he's saying. He's saying that anxiety, because of its capacity for occupying a central and controlling place of your life, and because anxiety wants to be the defining feature of your mind and your body and your soul, do not be anxious. In fact, Proverbs chapter 4 says this, be careful how you think and what you believe and how you see, because how you see and what you think about yourself and about God will run your life. In fact, anxiety is not just a bundle of, of psychological sensations, right? Anxiety is not just a random quirky feel. Anxiety, in fact, is rooted in a strong belief that this world is not okay, and I'm a part of this not okay world, so therefore I am not okay. So Jesus says that runs counter to the kingdom of God. Let me just say this really quick as I kind of just give you just a few thoughts on uh, what I think Jesus is saying about anxiety. I think the most, well, and if you're in church a long, long enough time, you're going to hear pastors say this often, but the most frequent command in the Bible, it's not being good, it's not be holy for I am holy and those important things, it's not don't sin, don't be a bad person, all that kind of stuff, and those are important, but the most frequent command in the Bible that we find is do not be afraid. Do not be anxious. Do not be afraid. I think Jesus, when he's addressing the crowds in Matthew chapter 6, knows, knows that anxiety is the ubiquitous feature of human life. And what Jesus is essentially saying, and I think this is what we all need to hear today, okay? I want you to hear this. And I want you to feel this. I want you to believe this. I want you to get this into your heart. I think what Jesus is saying, you don't have to be afraid because everything is going to be okay. Everything is going to be all right. So how do we get rid of this nagging sense of anxiety? How do we diminish its role in our lives, because it wants to claim sovereignty over you, right? And here's the good news. There's only one sovereign king, and his name is Jesus. He is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. So how do we negotiate? Not negotiate. How do we defeat this thing in our lives? Am I getting too feisty for you? How do we do it? Well, the basis for, for freedom from anxiety 
and the power to be who Jesus has called us to be. The basis is rooted in how Jesus sees the world. So I'm going to give you a composite picture of the Sermon on the Mount. We go to Matthew chapter 5, which we did not read. Jesus gives specific instructions to his disciples. He says, okay, when someone comes and slaps you in the face, turn the other cheek. How many of you have ever been slapped in the face before? Okay, (laughs) should we raise our hands? I'm like, should I even ask that question, right? Like my gut reaction is I'll slap you back, right? Jesus says, no, 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 you're not going to retaliate. When a soldier, then he continues, when a soldier comes and takes your tunic, give him another tunic, right? And then Jesus goes into um, loving your enemy's ethic, right? And this non-retaliation attitude or approach to um, suffering and persecution. Uh, Many commentators will tell you that this is all about human dignity, which I believe it is. And they will also tell you this is about the subversion of power, that Jesus wants us to turn the other cheek because Jesus wants the soldiers to see our face and our humanity, and I guess, and that's great. But that's not the point that Jesus is making. Jesus is making the point, and here's our basis. This is how we start to deal with anxiety in our life. Jesus is making the point, the reason why we love our enemies and the reason why we go the extra mile and turn the cheek and give not one but two tunics, again, in in a generous spirit of love, is because our Father in heaven, would you hear me, our Father in heaven lets the sun shine on the just and the unjust. Our Father in heaven lets the rain come and the rain of blessing on the just and the unjust. So Jesus is showing us how we should see the world. The world is directed not by some cosmic, megalomaniacal deity. The world as we know it, the cosmos itself, is directed by a generous, loving Father who cares not just for a few people who are really good, but your Father in heaven cares for every single person on this planet. Right? And then he goes to verse 7, and he says, don't pray like the pagans. How is that related to prayer? He goes, don't pray like the pagans. What he's essentially doing, Jesus is referring pagan religious life, which is rooted in this sense of insecurity as it related to the gods. So pagans, I can't get into it, but pagans would uh, come up with these elaborate prayer rituals where they would uh, over and over and over again repeat these magical incantations. And essentially what they were trying to do was to get the favor of the gods because they never knew on a given day where they stood with the particular gods. And Jesus is saying that you don't have to repeat prayers because the repetition of prayers is rooted in insecurity. You have, and this is so foundational for our prayer life, you don't have to repeat a ton of prayers. You don't even, know, you don't even have to have all the right words because you know where you stand with your Father in heaven. Your Father in heaven is not a faceless deity. Your Father in heaven is not some horrifying, patriarchal, a megalomaniacal person that wants to destroy the family. No, your Father in heaven is a good and generous and loving sovereign who is directing the cosmos to its, its end. And that end is healing and prosperity and grace. Come on, somebody. That end is new heavens and new earth. That end is life and life more abundantly. 
I'm convinced that we as Christians cannot, if this is not, our, if this is not a, a robust belief in our hearts and in our minds, we cannot, we cannot withstand the cultural anxiety that we're experiencing. In fact, I don't believe we can believe because, I, I, let me say this really quick, I think anxiety and what Jesus has for us are mutually exclusive. The Bible makes it very clear that perfect love casts out all fear. But it's equally true, perfect fear casts out all love. Right? So I, we, we have to be free from anxiety so we can be, in other words, who God has called us to be. And then we come to the pretty words. Jesus' pretty words, right? We come to Jesus telling us about the Father taking care of the birds and, and clothing the lilies. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying you don't have to worry about tomorrow because your Father will provide everything. Like every, in other words, let me just say this like in another way. Every cosmic detail, the specificities of our life are under the watchful care of our Father. I, I know maybe some of us are like, oh, this is so basic. But no, if we, if we really believed this, if this was our baseline, if this was our starting point, this would help us to challenge the logic, can I say that, of anxiety. So Jesus is telling us, number one, number one, if we want to overcome the power of anxiety in our life, we have to develop a strong belief that Jesus, that Jesus is right about the Father. Jesus is right about us. Jesus is right about the world. What I love about the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus, yes, acknowledges the presence of evil, right? He acknowledges that they're enemies. He acknowledges that there's darkness. He acknowledges that, that maybe our creation, the, I'll say it this way, the fabric of our creation is polluted and contaminated, right? He talks about all that. He talks about how even lilies will the next day be thrown into the fire. So Jesus is not denying that they're, that they're suffering and difficulty in our world. What Jesus is saying is, hey, I have good news because death and suffering and difficulties are no longer going to be sovereign over life. Jesus, throughout his ministry, is making the claim that God is claiming sovereignty over creation through him. And it's in his death, burial, and resurrection that God wins the victory over every suffering, over every tear, over every sorrow, over every sickness, over every issue that counters the kingdom of God and God's will for our lives. So how do we handle, as Christians, anxiety in our world? Well, we first don't start with good advice. We start with good news. It's the good news is that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's lovingly, sovereignly at work in us. Number two, Jesus, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, is addressing not individuals. He's addressing community. The way we, in other words, the way we overcome anxiety in our life is we, we need each other. We need each other. We can't carry life's responsibilities alone. I'm believing this more and more. I need Marshall. Marshall needs me, right? I need Marshall more than he needs me. But Marshall is amazing. I need my wife. I need, I need Nick. I, Nick needs me. I need Scott. I mean, I, I just go down. You know, look at all. We need each other. We cannot. We cannot tackle anxiety on our own. In fact, Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 says it's not good for a man to be alone, right? 
And we find a design pattern within this. Genesis 2.15, we have the statement that it's not good for man to be alone. And then in Genesis chapter 3, what do we see? Adam and Eve are separated in isolation. They are alone. And it's in our aloneness and in our isolation that we start to do two things. We start to minimize God's goodness and we start to maximize God's prohibition. In other words, it's in isolation that we form irrational beliefs about ourselves, about God's goodness, and about the world. This is why we need each other. We need each other to, to challenge our rogue beliefs. We, we, need, we need to be vulnerable, right? We need to share what's going on in our life. We need to be encouraged. This is why Galatians chapter 6 makes it very clear. We need to bear with one another. We need to shoulder uh, life's responsibilities together. Can I get an amen? Canadian psychologists, I've mentioned this before, did an interesting study in 1940 and 41. It was during the Nazi bombing of London. And during this time, depression rates, anxiety rates, mental health rates dropped almost to a non-existent level as London was being bombed. This particular psychologist and researchers were dumbfounded. They had no idea at first why there was a connection between this bombing of London and the the dropping of, of anxiety and depression rates. And they came to the conclusion the reason was is because people had a sense of togetherness. There was a sense of solidarity. People started coming together, and as they came together, they felt like they were part of something bigger than themselves. And as you learn to be a part of something bigger than yourself, as you learn to share what's going on in your life, when you know you can come to church and you can be encouraged, right? Even come to church every now and then, not just on Sundays, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, be a part of a small group, and you can share your, your, what's going on in your life, and you can have people speak into that. There is nothing like that. We need each other. So we need to start from the position that, man, Jesus, how Jesus sees the world is right. Number two, we need each other. And finally, number three, we need to slow down. There's no judgment here, but I think we need to slow down and we have to structure our lives around prayer. This doesn't mean you have to pray like 10 hours a day. I just think we need to be, okay, we need to make prayer a feature of our daily lives. That's five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever, right? We need to open up our lives to God because we cannot tackle all that life throws at us without God. In fact, this is where I end, Philippians, and I want to pray for all of us. Philippians chapter 4 makes it very clear. The way we overcome anxiety and not be anxious about anything is we have to do that in prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. Prayer, we talked about it last week, remember? Prayer is designed not for us to meet with God. It's actually designed for God to meet with us. Right? And it's in, it's in prayer and as we share our supplications to God through thanksgiving that we overcome anxiety in our life. In fact, I have realized more often than not that in prayer as I submit my, okay, God, this is what I'm going through in life. And I sandwich it with thanksgiving it is amazing how the peace of God begins to guard my heart. Right? In fact, what's Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving is just reminding yourself of what you believe about God. Thanksgiving is reminding yourself about how good God is. Thanksgiving is reminding yourself, okay, this is how I think, but this is how God thinks. 
In fact, I've been telling my, myself a lot, and this is just a little thing you can practice this week in prayer. I'll go in prayer, and I'll just thank God for all of his goodness. And then I'll start, I'll start telling myself, God, okay, this is what I think you would say from your word about me. So I start telling myself, okay, this is what God would say to me. God's not giving me a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Now, I feel fear right now. I'm not quite sure. I'm just in a hypothetical situation. But I feel this, but God, you said this. Right? God, you said perfect love casts out all fear. So I'm not quite sure why, why I'm not feeling your love. I'm not quite sure how I'm feeling this way. But I think what you would tell me right now is that I'm your son and that you love me. I don't know how to put all this together, but I think you're going to make a way. And I'm a little bit confused about this, but you said in 1 Corinthians 14, you're not the author of confusion. You are the author of peace. And then as I close and round off this little talk, I, and I've shared this so many times before, uh, I do this all the time. I cast all my cares to Jesus within prayer, and I thank him, right, for all that he has done, and God's peace will come. Sometimes like that, sometimes it might take a little bit longer, right, because I'm processing or we're processing what God is doing in our lives. But what I have found, what I have found is that when we leave the place of prayer, anxiety is such a little manipulator. It wants to come back and be present. It wants to talk to you. So I have learned that when I give it and cast my cares and my anxiety to God, that I also throughout the day have to practice like keeping and leaving my anxieties with God. Remember, anxiety's tendency is to move you ahead into time. It's to move you into Wednesday. So you'll pray in the morning and you're like, oh God, the heaven's open. It's gonna be an amazing day. And then two hours later, you're still worrying. You're thinking about Wednesday and Thursday or two months you know, from, from that particular point. Uh, the key here that I've learned is that, man, um, winning the victory over anxiety means that we gotta fight the good fight of faith. We gotta learn to leave, cast, but also leave all of our anxieties with Jesus. If he's not stressing, I'm not stressing. I, I'm still talking to myself because I'm, I'm, this week I got a lot of responsibilities, so I'm preaching to myself, right? But if heaven isn't sweating, right? Here's the thing, anxiety will paralyze you. It will empty you of the power to be who God's called you to be. Like the reason why I may be a little bit feisty about anxiety is because I know how anxiety has kept me from what God wants to do through me for the sake of the city and for the sake of the world. And if we don't address fear and anxiety in our lives, it will keep us from God's ultimate good purpose for the world. The world is an anxious place. They need to see non-anxious people. So cast all your cares and anxiety. Let the peace of God guard your heart and then leave it. Leave it. It comes back, you're like, you just, you just whatever. You say, oh, I see you, and I, I'm gonna leave it. I, I'll do mental things with my mind, like I'll come home at times thinking about maybe a really difficult problem, and I just tell myself, God, you got this. So I'm gonna go home at five o'clock and I give it to you, and I'm gonna be with my family. I'm not gonna sweat about the next day. I'm gonna be prepared 
but I'm not going to worry about the possible catastrophic things that are going to happen because I know you're in my tomorrow. And so I'm going to enjoy my kids. Hey, I just got to be really honest with you. This is where I end. I wasn't going to share this, but my difficulty early on in my marriage with my wife was being present. And I remember she would, she would talk to me. She'd go, Chris, are you here? Every now and then she does that, right? Are you here, Chris? And I remember asking myself, like, God, why am I not present? I have the most perfect, beautiful wife. We have the most beautiful kids. I mean, just, I have just, God, I'm so blessed, right? And I remember asking myself the question, God, why do I struggle with being in the present? And I realized, I made the connection because I'm in Thursday when it's Tuesday. And I'm trying to figure out stuff that God isn't talking to me about. I think maybe some of you need to hear this. Stop thinking about Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Prepare, but give it to God, and let God take care of every little detail in your life. So Chris, this means, so what you're telling me, what you're telling me is I have to trust. I'll even say it stronger. You gotta ruthlessly trust that no matter what, God is good. And we got to make a decision today. We're not going to work from our experiences and our circumstances and build a theology from that and project our experiences onto God. No, we're going to start from God is good and he's at work in the cosmos and he's in my Tuesday and he is in my Wednesday and he's in my Thursday. I'm not going to sweat about it. That's my starting point and then I'm going to let that be my perspective of every little difficulty that I'm going through in life. We're not going to start from experiences. We're going to start from what Jesus says his Father is like. Amen. Could you bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, I thank you. I know I've gone way too long. Father, I thank you that you are a good Father. Help us in this next season to believe that. Help us not to project a theology about you based on our experiences. Help us to believe today that you are, not just, let this be more than words, let it become our defining reality, that you are good, that our Father in heaven is a generous Father. He knows what we need. He knows what we need. He knows what's going on with our bodies and our minds and our kids and our future and our jobs and our coworkers. He knows what's happened to us. And I thank you right now, the peace of Jesus would come to every anxious heart today. So eyes are closed, your heads about you say, Chris, I'm anxious. I want to be free from it. And I want to receive the power God to be who's called me to be. I realize anxiety is, is, a, is a big thing in my life. And I want to trust. I want to be made new. I want God to speak to me in fresh ways today and in this next season. If that's you, could you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Thank you. All over the place. Wow. Maybe almost half. Okay, thank you for your honesty. Put your hands down. Can you take your hand and put it on your heart right now? I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you for a miracle. 
I, th I thank you that you would lift anxiety. Holy Spirit, let the peace of Jesus in this prayer moment, let the peace of Jesus that surpasses all, under all understanding guard our hearts right now. Jesus, let us see with fresh eyes. Let us see as you see, Jesus. Let us see the Father. I pray right now the Holy Spirit would come and whisper to every heart that it's going to be okay. That God, you're greater than death itself. God, you're greater than any threat. And that you work out everything for the good of those who you've called by your name. So we thank you, Father, for a miracle. I just see it right now. The Holy Spirit is removing anxiety from, from you, from, from your mind. For some of you, it's almost been woven into the, like, the fabric of your thinking. You wake up anxious. Right now, I see you, Holy Spirit, removing that from your sons and daughters. Well, I think you're doing a fresh work in your people. You're removing anxiety, and you're also empowering your people. Thank you for empowering us today by your spirit to do what you called us to do in the mighty name of Jesus. We just rest right now in your grace. We rest in your presence. Holy Spirit, do what you want to do in us right now. In your name we pray.